I can show up with my heart open and have the questions in a non-judgmental way from a spirit of human to human, not business person to business person, not, you know, what are you going to do for me? What does the contract say? And what is your obligation? As a human going through this life journey together, how can we help each other? Welcome to Love's Everyday Radius, a podcast brought to you by the Hoffman Institute. I'm your host, Sharon Moore, and I hope that you enjoy today's conversation and that the stories shared by our graduates impact, move, and inspire you. Welcome back, everyone. Today, I'm excited to have Cece Takaki on our show. Not only is Cece a Hoffman graduate, she's also an entrepreneur with businesses in real estate and most recently mediation. Her venture into mediation was actually born out of her own inward journey, a journey of understanding her patterns and giving herself self-compassion. Now, she's devoted to helping others and has a new business called Mindful Mediation Matters, where she helps people navigate conflict situations like divorce, child scheduling, prenups. No matter what, everything comes from a place of love and compassion. Imagine that, mediation from a place of love and compassion. So I'll leave it at that and let you hear more about her journey and how she arrived at what she arrived. Sissy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Sharon. This is such a delight. Thank you. I can't wait to have this conversation. Let's start with the process. When did you take the process and what was going in your life that led you to come to the process? Yeah, I left, I went to the process in February, 2019, and I was at a point in my life where I had to make some critical decisions and a um, therapist had told me, you know, this is something that I might consider. And after hearing a little bit about it, it resonated pretty strongly with me and I signed up and I was lucky to get a spot because it's always uh, on a wait list. So I was fortunate to get in in February. Was it one of those things that you signed up and you were able to go in a couple of weeks or did you have to wait a bit? Um, you know, I think it took a couple of months. And so I, you know, just went on with my life and I didn't really think about it until I got the emails and the phone calls saying I had to do these questions. And then I was like, oh, homework. Wow, that's pretty lengthy. <laughs> and that's how it all began. Like, uh, you know, the depth into which the Hoffman process is. Oh, you're one of those that gets the special phone call that says, we haven't received your homework yet. Yeah, I was thinking that I had time and, you know, I probably looked at the questions, the amount of questions and I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll just do it later. And I was like, wow, the phone call, by the way, was wonderful. The person that reached out to me was very heartfelt and just, you know, how's it going? Very, very nice. And I was like, wow, these people are really nice. So that was the first impression of Hoffman, that they were really nice people, but also that the amount of work that I had to do was was pretty in-depth. Would you say that even just doing the homework started your journey to healing? Yes, definitely. I, um, you know, have taken a lot of personality, you know, kind of questions and I, and I thought that's what it was, but the type of questions that I got were really in depth and made me think in a way that I'd never even considered before. Yeah. I, I think it, it just really, um, started on this trajectory for me, the, the questions. 
What was it like answering questions about your childhood and about specifically parents and surrogate parents? The first thing was that I had never even considered my nanny, for instance, a surrogate or my grandmother, a surrogate parent. But when I read what it meant and how it applied to my life, I was like, oh, I I did have a surrogate. Even thoughts like that of how basic it was that I never even had considered having an impact on my life. So it started off with things like that. And in terms of the questions, the way that it's designed, I feel like it got me to a place where I started looking at the patterns of how my behavior related to one of my parents or even my surrogate. And I had really never done that before. I don't know why, but I just attributed to them, but not really picking up the different nuances. Would you say there was a degree of protecting your parents and your surrogates as you're writing this, as you're, uh, sorry, answering the homework questions? Yeah, I would say that, you know, I can't remember every specific question, but there's an overtone of rebellion or defiance as I answer the question, because I was thinking to myself, well, well, I don't want to necessarily attribute this possibly negative trait to my mother or my father, thinking that they did the best that they could, that they left a, a country, you know, they're immigrants for a better life for me. So, you know, I, I was a little bit kind of irritated <laughs> at the questions and how they were designed, but I answered them just because I, I knew that this was part of it. But yeah, there was a little bit of a rebellion in me that, that I didn't want to dig that deep, so to speak. Right. Of course, there's an element of like, oh, come on, is it really that simple? Like what happened in my childhood? And the part that I love the best and that I hear from, I witness as a teacher, I hear from the podcast guests and I experienced it personally, is that the resistance to going to childhood and go, looking at parents, but then when the process is done, the depth of the love way deeper than I felt before I even got to the process. Is that something you experienced as well? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think well, I don't know if it was the depth of love. I would say categorize it like that. For me, it was a sense of compassion that I never had had. And you know, compassion and love is related, but I would say what they went through and how they were as children, I never had put myself in their shoes before. To have, you know, several exercises or several points during the process where that was considered, it it made me shift. My my mindset shifted. There wasn't necessarily blame. It was just an understanding that was cultivated where none had been before. That's beautiful. Oh, thank you. How has your relationship with your parents or your surrogates been impacted post-process? Well, it's been five years, and I think that it's been leveling up. I think the Hoffman process started my journey into thinking about this, the patterns and everything. And then everything I've done since then, the readings and other experiences have led me to a point where it's almost like the chains have fallen off. If you want me to go into a story, it just actually happened during Christmas. My dad was talking to me about his cousin or his, uh, sorry, his brother sending him a first class ticket. Immediately, I had this pang of well, that means he expects me to send him a first-class ticket. I live in Hawaii. It's quite far from you know, where he's at. That was like the immediate trigger for me. And you know, that feeling of not good enough, not having done enough to win his love. That's what I immediately flinched at. But as I kind of relaxed into it, you know, which is something that we have the tools to do with Hoffman and the various exercises, I was able to realize that how was he in childhood? Oh, well, he grew up very, you know, without a lot of nice things. And 
the reason why he came to America was so that he could better his life, better our family's life. And things like having a first class ticket or driving a nice car or getting a nice watch, those are signs of success and worthiness. You know, that's how he equates it. And so I realized, you know, in that moment, and it, it took me, you know, maybe half an hour to kind of digest it. Whereas before it would have taken me weeks, months, years. Right. And, um, I was like, Oh, okay. It just melts the chains that pull that tug. It just melts off of you. And I love him for who he is. What I hear to put a overlay of Hoffman terminology, what happened there was boom, you were on your left road. And as we know, left road is patterns and it happens within milliseconds, impulsively, compulsively, boom. And rather than now weeks of being on the left road and becoming disconnected and taking distance or whatever happens as a result, you within a half hour were able to go back to your right road and be present again and be connected again. That's incredible. Yeah, it it took a lot of work and, you know, a lot of exercises and visualizations, but eventually it got me to that place where I was not feeling that, you know, slam against the wall, the metaphorical slam against the wall. Yeah. And it gets you really what I hear is it allowed you to be more present. Like it seems to me that maybe in the, the days before, in the before times, you may have gone into that pattern and then withdraw or no longer connected or no longer present. Whereas this was a half hour blip and then you were back into being in connection. Yeah, that's, that was absolutely the case. Yeah. In the past, I would have probably, um, you know, just avoidance. It would have been avoidance because I felt he was being critical and I would have distanced myself. That would have been the, the past pattern. Left road. Beautiful. Wow. Beautiful. That is so inspiring. Is there a moment, I'm going back to the process here, is there a moment where uh, that you recall that was a pivotal, magical, or one of those moments that stayed with you when you were at the process? Oh, I know that we can't get into really in-depth stuff, but there's a celebration that happens. And the amount of joy that I felt, it was amazing. The way that it was laid out, the way that it was celebrated, it was all of a sudden my cup had water in it. And I had never really known what it felt like to drink a nice cold glass of water. And that amount of joy and happiness that I felt was, was amazing. So even though it's not like a crying kind of a moment, it stayed with me. And obviously there's so many other things about the Hoffman process that stay with me, but the one pivotal moment, I just was just over the moon and had not felt that as a child was that, that, um, that celebration. Wow. That's beautiful. I know exactly what you mean. And looking around and seeing everybody else with their joyful, childlike faces is, is so special. It is. It's just like you're, you're taken back into time. It's, it's amazing how that works. You know, certain feelings and emotions, you're taken back into the time of when you were that age. Are there ways that you can see that the process is still with you in your life? You said it's been five years. Can you see how the process still lives in your life? I mean, Sharon, I still do the exercises. I do. I have my gratitude journal that I pull out every morning, what I'm grateful for, what I appreciate. I do the, my quadrinity check, you know, also with the journal. 
so it's living and breathing inside of me. That's, uh, you know, absolutely the case. So that's every morning. That's my routine. And also, even with my children, you know, I talk about Hoffman, uh, but also when they are in a point where maybe they're not communicating as much, I break out the feeling sheet, you know, <laughs> all of the feelings. Cause I have, I have a teenage son. I have two, I have a preteen and a teenager. And so I break out that sheet and I say, what do you feel? Cause usually it's, I don't know, right? The answer is, I don't know what I feel, or I feel mad or, you know, so to get more, extract more, have a conversation, I use that sheet. And sometimes they roll their eyes because they're like, okay, mommy's getting all Hoffman. But I feel that it is very helpful as a tool to use for communication. Part of the thing also is, you know, I'm a business person. I do real estate. I have my own investments and I work with a lot of vendors. So I'll, I'll give you another anecdote. There was a gal I was looking at for marketing purposes, you know, to look at my website, my social media, and I researched her background and noticed that there were actually issues with her website, meaning like you couldn't click on a link. And in my past, I would have been like, okay, forget this person. Obviously just, you know, toss them. I don't have time to deal with this. I'm moving on to the next person. It's because of Hoffman that I have a sense of compassion. So I took the time to talk to her and just explain like, hey, this is a concern to me you know, cause I think it's a reflection of you, but, um, or your business, but everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes. And I just want to, you know, kind of share this with you that this is my concern. Part of me is now more like, I want to see how they respond. Do they respond with authenticity? Are they defensive? You know, how do they respond? And that tells me a lot about how we can work together. And that's all through Hoffman. Wow. How did she respond? Well, to be really honest, she responded, you know, very quick, right? She was like, oh, da, 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 it doesn't matter. Da, da. And so that was her initial response. And I knew that with that level of defensiveness, that's not ideal. So I said, you know what, let's just put a, a pause on, on this. Uh, I just wanted to tell you how I am doing in my selection process, but let's just put a pause on it and see, you know, I didn't close the door and Sharon, let me tell you, in the past, I really would have. I would have been like, you're wasting my time. I'm not going to go back to this. Let me move on to the next person. But I just feel that, you know, everybody deserves a chance to kind of gather themselves, to get into that place and see. And things evolve, people change, even in a matter of weeks and days. And it also allows for spirit to come in and do what spirit does. It's allowing that room. Does spirit show up in your professional life these days? All the time. I think that you have to make room for spirit to come, but everything I do now, I, in the morning, I set my intentions. I meditate. I do my gratitude journal for through Hoffman and my quadrity check. It takes a long time for me to get ready in the morning. So I wake up at 4 30. It's not a joke. It's not a joke. I, but these things help too. They are my anchor. They are my anchor and they help me to get through two teenagers, traffic, you know, real estate stuff happening all the time and just life in general. So um, I, I really rely on them. So spirit comes in, especially when I do my mediations and I ground myself first doing what we did, quadrating check, but asking specifically for spirit to help guide me during this process and for the greater good of all. And the mediations can be really tough. So I need that. <laughs> Okay, so let's pot, let's drill down here. So tell us more. What do you mean mediations? What's what's going on with mediations? Why is that a part of your life? When I first started Hoffman, I was at a, a transition time in my life where I was thinking of getting divorced and every everything along those lines. And since then, I, I did get a divorce, and uh, my children are with me five days a week. They're with my ex husband two days a week. 
and he actually has gone through Hoffman as well. And so we have a really good, uh, you know, co-parenting relationship, but I felt I was so um, taken care of in some sense through just everything that has unfolded through spirit. And I felt like I wanted to pay it back. So I started mediating and volunteering as a mediator at the Mediation Center of the Pacific. So it's been about actually five years since then, I've launched my own mediation company where I incorporate more uh, self-awareness, you know, journaling, breathing exercises, which we don't get to do in the formal mediation uh, you know, center because that's a nonprofit. So my business is separate from that, but I continue to evolve because the, the people that go through mediation at the Mediation Center of the Pacific are people that can't necessarily afford a private mediator like myself. So I, I continue to volunteer for the sake of the community. I do cases that are landlord-tenant, business associates, neighbors, but also a lot of it I do divorce and separation and uh, custody. So there are some really heart-wrenching situations sometimes. So you put yourself in the space where people are under distress and you play this role for them. Yeah. I find it amazing that you, a person who's connected to your spirit, a person who makes space for your spirit every single morning, then go into these rooms with mediation where most people are not their best selves. They're compromised. They're in conflict. And you bring this kind of spiritual presence. How do they respond to this? Well, um, you know, a lot of times they're so anxious to get into the discussion that they're very unaware. Uh, in my my private business, I'm able to center them and go through a process of breathing and, uh, you know, similar to the quadrinary check. But in terms of the nonprofit work, I show up as my authentic self and I listen. And the way that I listen is with my heart, if that makes any sense at all. And so there are things that are said with your words and your body that unless a person was listening with their heart, they wouldn't pick up on. That sometimes can help with the negotiation for the other side. You know, it's not necessarily like a business, right? Because it's about a marriage that is dissolving and it's about children and people and relationships. So to bring that heart focus into it is actually, I think, a gift through spirit and connecting it hopefully for my clients so that they get the best experience possible. And, you know, sometimes we are not able to solve it in one mediation. Each mediation is four hours long, three or four hours long, depending upon the time slot, and they have to come back again. But part of it is just them hearing themselves and somebody else checking in and making sure that they know the words that they are saying, you know, reframing. What was it for you that attracted you to go deeper into the space of mediation? You know, Sharon, that is a, an excellent question. And at first I thought it was my divorce. You know, like I said, I was motivated to help other people pay it forward and help families because I know how tough it can be. But as I peeled back the onion and thought about patterns and process, I think it's because in my childhood, it was a little bit unsteady at times. We immigrated from a different country. My dad was here first. My mother and I joined him five years later. There was a unsettling period where my parents argued and I was a little girl and never had known my dad. And here's my mom. And because my mom had run the show, she was a doctor. And she made her own money and all of that stuff. And here now she has 
in a new country, depending on a, her husband that she hasn't really been with for an extended period of time. So there was friction. And I remember feeling really helpless, just, you know, out of control. So I think that that this is like my way of repaying that. That is beautiful. And when you're in that role, you don't feel the helplessness and the being out of control that you once did when you were a kid. No, I mean, it's a completely different space. You know, I'm in there as a professional. I'm in there as a facilitator to help two parties get to a point of agreement. And sometimes I have to go between two different rooms, right? Kind of go back and forth in terms of the information that they're willing to share and see where the overlap is for agreement. And so I'm very much focused on what's for the greater good of the two parties. I'm not in there, you know, as little CC. I'm in there to help facilitate this discussion between these adults. But a lot of times, you know, I can hear their pain behind the words. And I think that with Hoffman and everything that I've learned, you know, I'm able to empathize with it, have compassion for it, and kind of like guide them along. Is there something about humans in general having this unique perspective to people? When you talked about people being in conflict, it's interesting because, you know, and I'll, I'll use divorce and um, separation because I do those a lot. It's amazing to me that two people that at one point fell in love, had children, you know, and some of them have been married for 10, 12, 15 years, some of them maybe even just one year, but it surprises me how much animosity builds up in those years where at one point there was so much love. What I came to realize is that people, get stuck. I wish there was another profound, more elegant way to say it, but people get stuck. They start looking at the thing that is just wrong, you know, it's to them, whatever that wrong thing is. And it kind of like creeps into their whole being of that person. And everything else could be great. They could show up on time. They could drive them to places, you know, or provide food or cook, but it'll be the dirty dishes or the fact that they don't do the laundry a certain way, it'll just become an expression of what it means to them and how it takes over their whole entire persona. So, you know, if, if they're not doing the dishes a certain way, that's because they are not considerate and they're not considerate in all these other ways all of a sudden. So it kind of just takes over their whole entire personality and they can't get look beyond it. Do you kind of see how people may have met from a place of patterns, meet patterns? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's always pattern for, for me, I can speak from my own experience, um, you know, hustling for love because we, meaning like myself and my sister, as Asian Americans coming from a different country, my parents were very motivated to have a better life. They left their relatives, they left their family, they left all these people and a social network. And in order to say, hey, I made the right decision by moving, they have to show all of this um, abundance. And the abundance, the easiest way to show that is with material things, right? So whether it's the house or the car. And so even with your children, you know, like, oh, so-and-so is in Harvard. So-and-so is, you know, your cousin is doing this. There's one the spelling bee, whatever it is. So all of these performance-based things become a translation for me as this is how you get my love. So it's the hustling for love. That's my pattern of trying to win affection, win love. And then you meet a person that maybe is kind of more distant and avoidant. So one person is trying to get the love when the other person is, you know, saying that, okay, show me more love kind of a thing. And so there's patterns that play out over and over again. 
you know, you hope that it's more than that, but sometimes that's what the initial attraction is. Yeah. And so in your specific case, did you feel responsible to validate your parents' courageous decision and all the compromise that was involved and all the fear that was involved in moving to another country to better their kids' lives? Did you feel responsible to, yes, then fulfill that vision of the material, of the Harvard, of all those expectations? How did that metabolize in your body? I don't think as a child that I correlated that. I just knew I wanted to please them. I just knew that I wanted them to love me and to be proud of me. And it was just that simple. You know, I didn't necessarily put it into a place of they left a different country, sacrificed so much. I just thought that, you know, my parents love me so much. They, they sacrificed their life for America, which is just the best place to live. My dad left in 1974 when I was a baby. And so I didn't feel that necessarily. I just wanted to have them love me. And if it meant trying to get all of these achievements, then I would try. But their expectations were so high sometimes that what it caused in me was actually defiance. You know, we learn in Hoffman, either you do the exact same thing as your parents or you rebel against your parents. And in some of these cases, I chose to rebel. And I said, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I think is best. And I'm not going to go for the Ivy League. And I didn't try as hard. And I, you know, was maybe partying too much in high school. But as a repercussion, I didn't get into Harvard. And so I ended up at State University of New York at Binghamton. And I met a bunch of friends that I'm still close to today. But yeah, there was definitely a rebellion that played into my response for them wanting to be, for me to be such a high achiever. And it, it really was Harvard and Yale. It wasn't, you know, anything else. It was either State University or Harvard and Yale. It was no in between. And does it live in you today still? How do you navigate it today? Yeah, you know, I think right up to when I went to Hoffman, I was all about achievement. I was about, you know, obtaining certain material success. And I realized every time I achieved these things, it was empty. It was great for half a day, maybe a week, and then it would be empty. And I would be like, okay, what's next? It was like, I couldn't get enough of whether it was the professional achievement or the, you know, material, whatever I thought was that, that, oh, this is going to make me so happy, or this is going to, you know, this is going to be it. It never was it. It never was it. And so when I realized that all of these, you know, accolades were empty, I was at a point of, okay, now what? <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And thankfully, I had Hoffman come into my life. And that's when I was able to really understand my patterns and step away from all of that and realize those things don't make me happy. It's actually when I am connected to you know, my quadrinity and making decisions based upon all of the information that I get from my four different aspects that I can actually be an aligned person living in this world, you know, and acknowledging that I'm a spirit being and acknowledging the body has messages for me and my emotions have value. There's so many times in corporate America where you're told to suppress your emotions or don't look at your emotions, but actually your emotions are telling you something is up, something's not feeling right, you should pay attention. And that, along with your body and pain that you might feel in your neck or your back, those are all messages that we tend to ignore. But now having the exposure and the experience, I realized these are all messages that help me to be aligned and to show up as my best self. And the connection that I have with people is amazing. It's beyond what I've ever could have had prior because I was so like trying to protect myself, always building a wall. 
Mm. When you speak of these connections, you mean post doing the process, the connections have changed. Yeah. After Hoffman, the way that I choose to show up has changed. And as a result, the connections have changed. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The connections have changed just because the way that I'm showing up as my authentic self and approaching things from a place of curiosity, you know, and not of a judgment. It's helped tremendously in making friends and being available to friends. And so did you go back after the process? I know you mentioned the divorce, but did you go back to the same line of work? And what was that like to feel such a shift from the high achieving, go, 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 I need my next thing, my next thing to having a switch? What was that like? It was a little bit, you know, kind of like riding both sides of the fence kind of a thing. I, I, it took me a while to understand how I could show up. That's why I decided to have this other quote unquote life of mediation, because I felt like my newly evolved self could use an outlet. And that was part of the mediation. But until I realized, oh, you know what? I can use these skill sets in my job as a realtor or in my, you know, when I do an investment or when I'm talking to, you know, as we had talked about before, interviewing a vendor, I can show up with my heart open and have the questions in a non-judgmental way from a spirit of like human to human, not business person to business person, not, you know, what are you going to do for me? What does the contract say? And what is your obligation? But as a human going through this life journey together, how can we help each other? Showing up to these same interactions, but this time with an open heart, less transactional, more of an open heart. Yeah, exactly. And, and just from a space of equalness, you're a human, I'm a human. You could be in another part of the world. Your experience could be totally different, but I'm sharing this space with you. We we are here together at this time, whether it's on a Zoom or whether it's face-to-face. Let's see how we can connect, whether it's through this partnership or this particular assignment or something else. What is it that we're being brought here for? And so my how can I say my relationships have expanded to not just this, you know, singular transaction, whether it's a real estate transaction or otherwise, it's more of a human connection. What does this person need and what do they need that I need to hear and just being open? I hope that makes sense. (laughs) Oh yeah, it makes sense. To me, it explains why the connections are different. I mean, approaching any interaction that was once very, that I shouldn't say was one, that could be very, very transactional. Approaching it with a, like you said, open heart with acknowledgement that you're human, I'm human, we all have human lives. And then I like how you said, how can we be here for each other? Boom, that's an opening that also has mystery. We don't know what the answer to that is, but if we show up open and willing, who knows where this connection will go? Yeah, that's that's exactly how I feel now. It's it's not about what brought us together, which could be, you know, the the business aspect of it, but it's about the overall human spiritual aspect of it. So my antenna so to speak have extended so that I'm listening with more than just my wallet. I'm listening with my heart, I'm listening with my spirit, I'm listening with my body, everything to see where is this connection and how can we be meaningful to each other. Yeah. It brings me back to the left road and right mode. It feels like on the left road, it was listening with your wallet, which equated value. And on your right road, it's listening with your heart, with your spirit, with all aspects, which brings 
depth of connection, which brings mystery, but it's not necessarily wallet. It could increase wallet, but it's not necessarily just for that. Right. That's exactly it. And sometimes what you get out of that exchange, or even if you're the giver, it feels amazing. It feels joyful. It feels like this is what I'm meant to do. So I I feel really good about that. Yeah. I mean, I'll tell you what, I'm so happy to know there's a mediator like yourself in this world that prioritizes spirit. When we're in a mediation, we're not our best selves. Our bodies are compromised. Our mental well-being is compromised. And to know that somebody's going to hold the space in that to me is just like, wow. And then also the transaction, your industry, you stayed in the same industry, but you show up completely different. How cool. Yeah, it took me a while. So I'm not going to say it happened overnight, but I, I realized through all the different experiences and keeping on with the Hoffman exercises and everything, it just led me to that place. Sometimes I think to myself, wow, haven't I learned enough? Like, haven't, can I be just Zen now and levitate? I can't, you know, there's always something that brings me back. Okay. It's still there. Let's process it through and and see where it leads us, you know, and just being joyful for that opportunity to learn again, instead of resisting it to have open arms over it. And it's really made a difference. It's not hard. I think anybody can do it, but I think I, w- I was always coming from a place of a, protecting myself, thinking, you know, I didn't want to be vulnerable. I had to have everything all laid out, had to have my stuff together, and wanted to project that image. But 2.OCC is a little, little bit more courageous and shows up with authenticity, shows up with heart. For instance, just the other day, I was having a conversation with somebody who I had just met and they were talking about their past experiences in their life. And they were like, well, I have to be strong. I have to do this and that and appear this way. And I identified with that. But later on, you know, in a side conversation, I said, why do you keep on saying you have to be strong? What does that mean to you? And it kind of took her aback because I don't think that she realized she was using those words over and over again. And so she's like, you know, that's a really good question. I have to think about it. And I think that's what spirit is. I think that, you know, it's a chance to pause, whether it's for myself or for another person and look at these kind of unconscious things that we do sometimes and just put some life and breath into it to make sure that this is the direction that we want to head into. Wow. I want to just highlight a couple things before we sign off. One is your ability to be curious, that you didn't just take this woman's words at face value. You showed up with an open heart and curiosity and asked her an open-ended question, which may have been a pivotal question for her. We don't know how it impacted her. Your curiosity. I also want to point out this approach to learning. You said, I'm joyful to have the opportunity to be confronted by these learnings rather than, oh, again, I have to do this. I can't believe it. Aren't I enlightened yet? No, you said, I feel the joy to be confronted and have a learning opportunity that is worthy of us repeating. And then the other thing is I want to point out your commitment. You wake up at 4.30 every morning, my friend. I don't hear that all the time. And you hear it wake up 4.30 every morning to do the practices and you have been doing that for five years. That is significant. Curiosity, joy to learn, and the commitment seems to be your winning recipe. 
Yeah, absolutely. It really is. I mean, the commitment, that's what keeps me sane and being able to do everything else that I want to do. It's not easy. It's never easy. No. What do they say? It's not, it's simple, but it's not easy. Exactly. Well, Sissy, thank you so much for being here and for sharing so wholehearted. I uh, can't wait for people to hear how you have shown up and shifted in your life. It's such a beautiful story and inspirational. And I thank you for sharing it. Thank you so much for having me, Sharon. Of course. Thank you for listening to our podcast. My name is Liza Ingrassi. I'm the CEO and president of Hoffman Institute Foundation. And I'm Raz Ingrassi, Hoffman teacher and founder of the Hoffman Institute Foundation. Our mission is to provide people greater access to the wisdom and power of love. In themselves, in each other, and in the world. To find out more, please go to hoffmaninstitute.org.